Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's live room on Lockdown Bearcats, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy National Chili Day. We're celebrating Cincinnati. Got my Skyline Chili shirt, got my Bearcats hat. I am having Skyline for dinner tonight, so looking forward to that. And it is going to be a fun 40 minutes here with you and Russ Hellman. I got to send Russ the link to join our live room. As we are going to break down everything that has happened this week on the gridiron and on the hardwood, the Bearcats hiring a new offensive coordinator in the wake of Tom Manning's departure. Brad Glenn is going to be the Bearcats' new offensive coordinator, the pass game coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Virginia Tech last year. And that's why I'm underwhelmed because Virginia Tech last year in terms of passing was terrible. But Brad Glenn, excuse me, lost my train of thought there for a minute. Brad Glenn also was the offensive coordinator at Georgia State when they had a record-setting offense, when they had a school record-setting offense. He was the he spent seven years at Western Carolina. He spent time at Appalachian State with Scott Satterfield, so he's familiar with Scott Satterfield. So looking forward to talking with Russ about that. He says it's a solid hire. I say it's an underwhelming hire. So what exactly is the what exactly are we going to get from Brad Glenn in year one, first Power 5 coordinating job? We'll find out. And it's the Bearcats' first offensive coordinator at the Power 5 level. And with that, we bring in the man, the myth, the legend, and the driving force behind all Bearcats at Sports Illustrated, Russ Heltman. Russ, first off, happy National Chili Day. Have you had your Skyline Chili yet? No, I have not been able to uh, get out of the Maple Knoll Village campus just yet today. but. Actually, I'm I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to get Skyline Chili today. What? I got to go work out, and then I've already eaten lunch. It's just not okay. in the docket. I, I got it right here, though, Alex. It, and unlike you, I've been engulfed in the Skyline Chili scene over the past two plus years. Whereas you just got back to the Ohio area. I did. You got to engage, you got to engage in some Skyline Chili on National Chili Day, of course. What if I what if I told you so? So I got back on February 10th. Today is February 23rd. So 13 days, and I've yet to have Skyline Chili. There you go. Perfect timing. Perfect timing for Skyline perfect, for National perfect, Chili Day. Perfect timing. Although my aunt did make some pasta the other day, and I put some cheddar cheese on it. That that is really good. When you make it yourself, I'm not gonna lie, it almost tastes better. But that's a topic for another day. We've got a lot to get. We got a lot to get to today. Brad Glenn hired his new offensive coordinator. Russ, you say it's a solid hire. I disagree. We'll hash that out here on the live room. Plus a thriller last night between. The Bearcats and Temple that the Bearcats pulled out. Russ, did you get – were you able to get some sleep before you had to get up? At, what time do you get up every morning? 4, 4.30? Well, yeah, 4.35. Yeah, we got a little bit of sleep. Not as much sleep as you'd like to get, but hey, it was an exciting game. So It was. Okay with uh, extending the nap this afternoon for a better game. Just wait till the 9 o'clock big Monday games in the Big 12 next year. <laughs> you won't be sleeping much next year, Russ. Neither will I, but that's okay. Well, I'll be, a, we'll get I'll be into asleep it. before those games end for sure <laughs> next year. So that's going to be uh, – Going to be a rewatch in the morning for those games, for sure. Rewatch in the morning. But I mean, that's the beauty of technology that we have today. Um, but let's get into all of it right here in this week's live room of Locked On Bearcats. Our Locked On Bearcats, your daily podcast on the Cincinnati Bearcats. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
Well, we got a big show coming up for you today in our weekly live room. So much to get to this week in the offseason that is college football. We had a big, big news week with the Bearcats offensive coordinator change. Hopefully it's the only one. But hey, if there's another one, that means more content for us. And that's what drives our profession. So we're happy to be here with you. We'll take your questions and comments in the chat. Today's episode of Lockdown Bearcats is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Lockdown. Like every moment more, visit FanDuel.com slash Lockdown today to get started. As I mentioned, I'm Alex Frank, the host of Lockdown Bearcats each and every day right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Russ Heltman is my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated. He's got a lot of stuff up on All Bearcats, as do I. Uh, he, Russ has got his three-man weave that he does at the end of every game. I have my stars of the game. There were uh, The game was so thrilling last night. There were so many elements to it that I have four stars of the game. That will get to basketball in the second half of today's show. Let's get to football first, Russ, because that's what drives college athletics. The Bearcats have a new offensive coordinator in Brad Glenn. You think it's a solid hire. Why? Long, long history. Uh, long history surrounded by Scott Satterfield's system. We worked with Scott Satterfield um, for a time when they were on staff at under Roger, or Jer- under Jerry Moore back when Appalachian State was still at the FCS level. 28 seasons of coaching experience. Obviously, everybody's staring at the bad results that the Virginia Tech offense went through last year under a first-year head coach, first-year staff, trying to get that thing integrated. I'm not going to really put a bunch of stock in the one season at Virginia Tech as the quarterback's coach and a guy that was – a part of the offense, sure, but was not the offensive coordinator like he will be here in Cincinnati and is not going to be calling plays here in Cincinnati. That's going to be under the tutelage of Scott Satterfield. So all in all, the offensive results are still going to fall squarely on the shoulders of the head coach. But I think what Brad Glenn gives you is a nice sounding board, a very experienced sounding board, and a sounding board to me that given the fact that the play caller has not changed in this scenario, I don't see how Brad Glenn is that much different from Tom Manning, especially when People were looking at Tom Manning's results last year and taking those for his entire profile as well, similar to what people are doing, I think, a little bit with Brad Glenn. And I think what you are doing a little bit with Brad Glenn here, Alex, staring at one bad season at Virginia Tech compared to decades of results of developing A, great quarterbacks and feeding into B, great offensive systems in terms of meshing the run and pass game. I think you're right, and I think I can admit that I was kind of looking at Brad Glenn through the lens of just that one season, because you are right, and you brought it up when Tom Manning was hired, because 2022 was Iowa State's first season after losing Brock Purdy and Brees Hall. I mean, look, Brock Purdy might have secured himself a, a starting quarterback job in the NFL. That's how good he was. And it's interesting because uh, Brad Glenn, yes, has only spent one season at the Power 5 level, but you look at what he did at the FCS level, you look at what he did at Georgia State and the offenses – that he ran there. I mean, you he was a part of Armani Edwards' career. I don't know how many Bearcat fans really know how great Armani Edwards was. You and, you and I were still, well, so I would have been about, I was in third grade when App State pulled off that upset against Michigan. You would have been, I think, I think a few years older than I was at the time. But for those who don't remember, Armani Edwards, Russ, second, and I said this earlier this week, first quarterback in NCAA history, FBS or FCS, 10,000 yards passing, 4,000 rushing yards in a career. And second yeah. most total yards of a quarterback behind one name, Russ. You know who that name is? I'll probably know it when you say it. I don't, I don't know who it would be, though. How about Steve McNair? Yep, there you go. Titans great. R.I.P. Steve McNair. Yes, rest in peace, God Steve. rest his soul. 
A tremendous player. But but what I'm saying, Russ, is you're right. And I've started to look deeper into the Glenn profile. And there's some tangible there there's some tangible accomplishments and tangible elements to his profile that I can get behind. And the silver lining is this. Satterfield's calling the plays. So is it that whoever is the offensive coordinator is a part of the collaboration? Is that how we should be looking at it? And then we can feel, okay, this is actually a good hire for the Bearcats. Yeah, I would kind of look at Glenn and kind of judge him more based on the progression of the quarterback and maybe the tight end position. Not less of the quarterback because he's not going to be the quarterback's coach, but the tight end position, that's kind of what he's expected the coach has not been officially announced as the tight ends coach, but that's the one open position coaching spot left once Tom Manning uh, departed for Indianapolis. And um, Glenn has experienced coaching tight ends before was the tight ends coach with Scott Satterfield when they were both on staff at Appalachian state back in 2005. So I expect him to take over that role. And I think just progression in terms of those players taking a step and just the overall offense getting better week to week, looking more in sync, looking more sound. Just look at what I mean, look at what he did at Georgia State. You take a guy, quarterback Darren Granger was the day the the name starter in preseason camp, was the spring football starter, was not really even a main part of the offense throughout those two periods, threw for 1,512 yards, excuse me, threw for 227 yards per game, 257 nine yards of total offense. He was the MVP of the Lending Tree Bowl that year. Six offensive players were 2020 All Sun Belt Conference team members that year. They averaged a school record 33.3 points per game. He was, and all while doing that with a first year starting quarterback, didn't have traditional spring practice, all that stuff, obviously, because of the pandemic and all that. So this is a guy who's been dealt with a bad deck of cards before and turned them into a great hand if we're talking poker lingo. And I think he can do that this season, especially when you think about the program's talent level right now, hopefully being the lowest it will ever be again as a member of the Big 12. No question about it. And that's why I'm hopeful that what Scott Satterfield did in Louisville and what Brad Glenn has done throughout his career. Yeah, I mean, the Bearcats right now, I'm, the expectations I don't think are going to be high going into this year first year in the Big 12. That said, I don't think the roster is terrible. I think there are some major gaping holes that need to be filled. But at the same time, if the defense, which I think is going to be potentially just as good as last year, if not better, I think if the offense can, uh, I think if the offense can be what I think it's going to be, and if Satterfield can get the most out of this offense, the Bearcats are going to be in every single game. And there are some numbers from the University of Louisville when Satterfield was the head coach there that I want to ask you about because I think they paint an interesting picture that it's about more than wins and losses as to why Satterfield was hired. I'll get, Russ, your opinion on that after I tell you how this episode of Lockdown Bearcats is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. The midway point of the NBA season is here and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. And you can bet on everything from the money line to points, scores, and threes drain plus. FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay, so don't miss the chance. To get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official 
sports betting partner of the NBA. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks again for making Locked On Bearcats your first listen every day. Make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. Everything you need to know about college basketball in one place. Plus, hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked On College Basketball is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Russ Heltman, my colleague at all Bearcats and Sports Illustrated, back with me today here on our weekly live room. So, Satterfield Russ, you remember he was hired, and the press release that was given to all of us members in the media said that Satterfield was 25 and 24. These were the players who were drafted to the NFL under Satterfield. But what they didn't say to you was if you go through the game logs of the four years he spent in Satterfield, you would see that Louisville's offense the first three years with Satterfield, top 30 offense in the country, they made the jump from 109 to 24 in one year with Scott Satterfield. So based on those numbers, should it be about more than wins and losses at Louisville as to how Bearcat fans form their opinion on Scott Satterfield? Yes, but it's not going mean, to – the wins and losses are what drive the whole thing. Like Louisville, they have issues. The athletic department, not to dive into any details, but – it is not as stable and strong and firm as the UC athletic department. And I think that's a big reason why Satterfield went with this decision, went with this, this new role. And on top of that, it's just, it seemed like it was the end of the line for his time there. It felt like he was going to be firmly on the hot seat going into this season. And now you get a firm, fresh restart and you get to truly prove if you're Scott Satterfield, that you can be a successful, consistent power five coach he has not proven that so far he has been through some really interesting and abrupt changes and disruptions during throughout college football when it comes to nil the pandemic all that stuff i'm not making an excuse for that in terms of his his overall results at louisville despite all that you still need to be better and bearcats fans expect a coach to bring a better resume than 25 and 24 over the past three or four seasons but the the issues are what they are they were Blatant issues, COVID, NIL, all that stuff, trying to get that stuff ramped up at Louisville, where ways now you come into a situation in Cincinnati with Cincy Reigns, with COVID basically behind us here. There are no excuses. The excuses are gone. If he doesn't have a winning record by the time we get through 24 games of the Scott Satterfield era, then yeah, fans are going to have a rightful reason to be upset to want more, and to be thinking, man, how did we go from the trajectory of Luke Fickle playing in college football playoffs, capturing 30-plus game home winning streaks to back-to-back years of 6-6, six and 5-7, six, 7-5 and, seven, seven and five football on a mediocre, run-of-the-mill Big 12 program that's just kind of lost amongst the Power 5 wilderness, a wilderness that they were so eager to get into with Luke Fickle and now is a little bit more trepidatious to say given the fact that 
we don't yet know what these results are going to be from this coaching staff. But I will say to tidy all that up and to tie a bow on it, Scott Satterfield has done the number one thing that you need to do when you first start out as a college coach, which is hire the right staffers. You know why I know that? Because he's already had three get picked off, Alex. That's a fantastic sign that if people want your coaches, it means you're hiring the right people. And guess what? What did I tell you on your text once that's once that breaking news came down that Tom Manning was going to be the Indianapolis Colts uh, tight ends coach? I would it's expect a, a hire within 24 hours at yep. both positions. And what happened, Alex? We got him filled within 24 hours at both spots. This is a guy who knows the plan he wants to implement, knows the people he wants to have around him for that plan. And I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and give him that slack going into this first season, especially, and probably going into the season two, unless it's an unmitigated disaster, Urban Meyer style or something in year one, because it takes time in these types of situations, especially when you're not only changing coaches, but changing leagues all at the same time. Well, isn't it nice to hear the phrase COVID with COVID behind us? I mean, it it, it felt like at times we would never get to that point. And I do agree, Russ, that Satterfield is going to have to prove himself at Cincinnati because Bearcat fans do have expectations, even though I've said they're not Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, or your traditional blue blood. But Russ, at the end of the day, what I said, what you and I both talked about, it's not an indictment on Satterfield that coaches are getting plucked away. It's not. Thank you. Yeah. It's the fact that they are good coaches. It's the fact that the program is Cincinnati is, is a good program that is in much better shape going into this next era than it was when Luke Fickle was here. Right. If it's a lateral move, when it's it's a bad thing happening, if it's a lateral move is what I'm trying to say. None of the hirings were lateral moves. They were either going to a higher position within college football at a division one school, or they were going to the NFL and making more money in a lesser position at a higher level. So they're all upward trajectory moves. And that makes me have no issue with the fact that they've had to replace three coaches already. That's a good thing when your talent is getting identified by some of the best programs or franchises in the sport. The other thing I think about is this. And I said that I said it earlier this week and Bearcat fans may be frustrated about Scott Satterfield's lack of, uh, big time success at Louisville, but it's hard to build and have sustained success in college football. And I think what happens is Alabama and Georgia and the success they have, it kind of dwarfs what's happening underneath. And when you think about Russ, a college football offense, you probably think about Ohio State, Oklahoma, Oregon, Central Florida, maybe. You don't think of Louisville, but Louisville's offense wasn't was really good under Satterfield those first three years. I mean, I mean Malik Cunningham in two years, accounted for about two-thirds of the offensive yards. So you have confidence there that whoever the quarterback is at Louisville is, or I'm sorry, at Cincinnati, is going to be the epicenter of this offense. So there are things that Satterfield's offense did in terms of numbers on the field that are good. Wins and losses maybe didn't come. But understand it's hard to have success and build off of breakthrough seasons. And I know Louisville didn't after 2019, but as you said earlier, there were things that were out of their control. They didn't have the recruiting that Cincinnati had. They didn't have um, potentially a lot of things that Cincinnati had that allowed Cincinnati to win 22 games in 2020 and 2021. And they also played in a much tougher conference with Clemson dwarfing them and then Pitt winning the ACC. 
So I, I just think about Russ. There are it's hard to build and have sustained success. The Bearcats did it after their breakthrough season in 2018. And I think fans might get caught up in, well, the Bearcats aren't Alabama and Georgia. Well, darn right they're not. They haven't had sustained success like they have, and it's hard to do that. And at the end of the day, when you have an offensive mind like Satterfield and the fact that his his offenses when Malik Cunningham was healthy at Louisville were very dynamic, that gives you confidence that he is the right head coach potentially to lead the Bearcats into the Big 12. I'm not saying Luke Fickle's not, but I'm saying Satterfield and what his offenses did at Louisville in terms of numbers on the field, that should give you confidence, right? And, and Russ, before you, before you, let me add this. If it was about wins and losses, then why was Patrick Mahomes a, a top 10 pick after two losing seasons in college? Or why was Jared Goff? What, I don't, how does that have anything to do with college I'm just, football? I, I'm just saying college football-wise, Patrick Mahomes in college put up otherworldly numbers. How he wasn't a Heisman Trophy finalist, I don't know. But he had two because they didn't win games, man. You gotta win games. Okay. I see what you're. I hear what you're I, saying. I understand. I get it. I understand. The offensive numbers have been good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're gonna have this probably same exact conversation at least once or twice or three times maybe over the rest of this offseason. We will with the dog days of summer coming up. But the bottom line is, Bearcat fans don't care if Emory Jones has a great season this year. They don't care if they go four and eight and Emory Jones has a great season. That doesn't matter to them. They don't care what the numbers look like. They care what the win loss column looks like. And I I get it. That's what you pay for. That's what you pay the season ticket money for to go watch wins at Nippert Stadium. And yes, the underlying metrics say one thing, but the bottom line is he is one game over 500 and that's what you're going to get judged on. And that's what you should get judged on, especially at the head coach position. It's not a quarterback wins loss debate. The head coach is responsible for all 22 players out on that starting defensive and offensive units, plus the other 11 on special teams. It all falls back on them. Nobody cares what your offensive numbers look like at the end of a six and six season. It's just about that six and six number. Fair enough. Fair enough. But as the voice of reason, and I'm trying to tell Bearcat fans, and I was talking to Neil Meyer of the front office news about this last night. When you look at when you look at Louisville's offenses and where they ranked in his first three seasons, Satterfield's at Louisville, and you think about the Big 12, people think the Big 12 is all about throwing the ball 50 times a game. It really is not. And I think if you look at what Satterfield's offenses did at Louisville, that can be what the Bearcats have in the Big 12. And you look at Luke Fickle teams. Last year's team would not have done well in the Big 12. They could not run the ball. And by virtue of not being able to run the ball – they struggled in the passing game. Running games can still open up the passing games, even though we enter a new era of football where passing games are the the dominant the dominant offense. All right, one team who did win last night, Bearcats men's basketball. They won a thriller against Temple in overtime, eighty eight to eighty three. Uh, Russ, what's your immediate takeaway from last night's game? Gree gutty, flipping the script type of win for a okay. team that Wes Miller, you and I were sitting there listening to him. He kind of echoed the same sentiment last night where they were in the exact same scenario against Tulane. You go down the floor, you miss the game winning shot. And then in New Orleans, they crumbled, but at home at fifth third arena, they answered the bell. And one guy in particular answered the bell. Damian Dunn lit a little fire under Landers Nolly right before the overtime period started. And the senior goes 
four for four from the field, was an absolute killer in the final five minutes there. Played a really great game, uh, lessened the turnover output, touched on that a little bit, said he's a uh, goal is to have less than three turnovers the rest of the way. No games with three or more turnovers the rest of the season. I was really impressed with Landers Nolly, really impressed with David DeJulius, even though he had a tough shooting night. Man, I mean, the dude is just printing money, Alex. If you look at his prop line on assists, he has now gone over his assist prop line in five, in six of the past seven games. He's wow. had 14 straight games with five-plus assists. He is arguably the most consistent top passer in the net now in terms of assist production, game-to-game, night-to-night. He made some beautiful cross-court uh, access three passes for open corner threes, a couple of them to Dan Skillings, who had his best career game, 15 points. Didn't fill up the stat sheet besides that. Did have two turnovers. Was a little iffy on defense at times, but he gave them something yeah. extra that they really ended up needing down the stretch. And then to tie it all together, Alex, a team that Wes Miller, and I asked him about this at the end of the press conference, describes as a jump shooting team. We all know this is a jump shooting team. Well, what happens when the jump shooting team gets a little bit more aggressive and goes downhill more often? They get to the line 30 times and make 28 of them, which is the most makes in a game dating back to at least the 2010-2011. 28 of 30 is the best percentage on the highest amount of attempts dating back to 2010-2011. And it was the most makes in a game since I believe the the beginning of the 2020 or 2019 season. So 28 of 30, I was really hoping we'd get that 30 out of 30, hundred percent team record for most uh, makes in a 100% free throw shooting game, but didn't quite get there all in all though, a really fun game, Alex. I had a yeah. lot of, a lot of fun time in the 88, 83 victory. And I think it was maybe the most fun I've had at a Bearcats game over the past two years. Good win for UC. Yeah, it was a good win. It was a good, a great atmosphere for Wednesday night. People around me were yeah. saying that. I'll blame the guy at Owls Daily sitting next to me, uh, the row behind you last night, who he told me, he goes, not to jinx it, but both teams haven't missed a free throw yet. And I'm like, well, and I, I didn't even say anything. I'm like, just, you know, just keep some. We were all jinxing it, Alex. I started looking up the, okay. uh, the all-time well, record with, with 15 out of 15. So they And they made, I think, the first 18 free throws. Well, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's what you turned back to tell me last night on yeah, press yeah. row. But anyway, what's what stands out to me and there's a lot of things to do. First off, you you said Dan Skillings' defense was iffy. And I'm going to go to this point here because I think the turning point of the game. So, there's 9:41 left in the first half. Temple goes up 22-17. You turn back to me and says Dan Skillings gave up on that play. Temple got a layup. I mean, they were getting great looks. In the first 10 minutes of the game. West chewed him out on the after that timeout, too. Yeah. West calls timeout. 7-0 run. Bearcats never trailed again. So that was a huge turning point of the game. Because that game could have gone off the rail. Temple was the aggressors early on. Bearcats were just kind of hanging around. Davenport hit two threes. But it was getting that timeout. DeJulius drawing a foul. Making three free throws. And I told I told my listeners this. This morning, you watch him in pregame warmups, how smooth his stroke is and how smooth his shot is. It translates into the games. And last night, the Julius, you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, particularly at the free throw line. I mean, how clutch was he nine of nine from the free throw line? I get it. He didn't have a great night shooting five of 15, only made one three. But remember, this was a game in 2020. Jaron Cumberland had 24 points. You know how many shots he made in that game? Three. This was, you're right. This this was against Wichita State in February of that year. He had 24 points, 
three of 11 from the field, three of 11, and only two of five from three. So you want to talk about willing your team to victory, willing yourself to will your team to victory. And then Landers Nolly. What really I loved the most about his performance last night was he misses the game winner at the end of regulation, in which, Wes, you said it, felt like the two-lane game. Russ, how many threes did the Bearcats attempt in overtime last night? I don't think that they take maybe one. I don't even know. If they didn't take one. any. They didn't take yeah, any. They didn't take one. Four, four from the field, five of six from the free throw line. Yep. It's just what you tell me. Good, sound ball. It's not like Nolly responded by splashing in threes. He responded by taking high percentage shots. He made all of them. They did, and and what did they they t- they attempted? I think about thirty threes in the game, something like that. It was, I think, that's the number that you kind of want to hang around, and you want to see this team hang around if you're a Bearcats fan. Is thirty three point attempts, the normal kind of 37 percent from the from the three point line, but then you're getting downhill, getting aggressive, and thirty three point attempts and twenty free throws. You get a 50-50 mixture out of those two stats, this team is going to be in really good shape in most games, especially when you think about how good of a three-point shooting team they are. Well, individually, when you're you're a good three-point shooter, oftentimes that means you're a very good free-throw shooter as well. Those two things are very, very much coinciding with one another. So I'm right there with you, Alex, and that's why I kind of asked Wes to close the press conference yesterday. Does it seem like this team – has just shown another way where they can win another way. And I didn't want to ask him about the conference tournament. Cause I knew he wasn't going to answer anything about that. But when they get to that three day stretch, Alex, there's going to be at least hopefully three days for Bearcats fans and yeah. Bearcats faithful. There's going to be one of those three days, those three games, maybe on the early turnaround where you've got to play the night game and it's the afternoon game and the short 12 hour window coming, coming back around where the shots aren't going to fall, but the will and the physicality, and the will to win is going to have to be there. And to be there and to get that win, they're going to have to make free throws in that type of scenario. And they showed that they can do that when they're not necessarily getting all their shots to fall and not playing great on-shot defense on the other end. I think um, Temple was over 48% shooting from the field, and they allowed Damian Dunn to get to the line 14 times. It's a big reason why Temple was able to claw all the way back and tie it up at the end of the game. But overall... I think it was just another instance of this team showing a different skin in their winning ways. That's what I think about. Um, I, I do. I do feel the same way that this. And now team... you have. And now you have the biggest game of the West Miller era on Sunday. Oh, another chance, Alex, oh, to get a top fifty win, and this time on the road, something West Miller has yes. not done either of which in his time at UC. Actually, well, what? obviously the Illinois win, but other than that, yeah, that was a new. That was a neutral site win, though. Um, in, in a place where the Bearcats have had a lot of history in Kansas City and really the city of Cincinnati has too. Well, one final question before we get to Memphis on Sunday. What did you make of Victor Locken's return last night? You could tell he was kind of getting back into the swing of things a little bit in the beginning of the game, was a little bit off on his timing. I thought that stood out to me most defensively in terms of just getting in in, in the lane to block shots, but turned that around in the second half. Got a couple blocks in that frame. Obviously fouled out um, in, in small part due to the lack of complete timing synchronicity on the defensive end, but that's to be expected. The biggest yeah. thing, and what Wes Miller highlighted and said is number one, is 
didn't seem like Victor Locken was hampered at all by the ankle, wasn't limping at all. He looked like the same old Victor Locken. I know you told me um, when you got there watching early pregame warmups, looked good to go there. The warmups I saw, he looked like the same Victor Locken. So for a team that's been just kind of hampered and beat down by injury at different points of the season over the past few months, it's really great to see that out of your center. And it's really great to see that Cincinnati is kind of a three-man battery now that is going to give them even more leeway and even more options to use once that AAC tournament comes um, across the docket in a couple of weeks' time. Looks like also Victor Lockins gotten really good from the free throw line when you consider his last three games. Only missed one last night. I think he was, I don't have the stats right in front of me. I think he was five of six in a game yeah, that was like decided that. by five points. And I just think about how the Bearcats, they clawed their way to victory in this game. You know, you look at the Tulane and ECU meltdowns, but they've learned from those. You know, they weather, they've given up nine-point leads in the second half of each of their previous two games. And what have they done rest of the end? They found a way to win. And last night, the crowd was into it. It was a, you could tell that that game meant something to both teams. Cincinnati leaving it all out there. Temple, I mean, Damian Dunn, say what you will about him lighting a fire under Landers Nolly, 34 points. I mean, without Temple's leading scorer, Khalif Battle, who you tell me didn't even make the trip. Nope. So, and I, mean, I think that was the most points. Was that the most points allowed since Jalen Cook last year, Tulane? I think he might have had 35. But if not, that was Jalen Cook either eclipsed like by that. one or that was the best scoring performance by an opposing player in the West Miller era. So, hats off to Damian Dunn. Although, like I mentioned, 14 of those points came at the free throw line. Landers Nolly, the primary defender on him for much of the game. Foul discipline wasn't quite there for Landers, but held him to 9 of 21 shooting. That's pretty good for a guy that's usually yeah. rather efficient with his field goal percentage. Another thing, Victor Locken fouled out with 258 to go in regulation. The Bearcats still found a way to win the game. Odio Guama fouled out at the end of overtime. And Landers Nolly, as you mentioned, wasn't really staying out of foul trouble. So let me ask you this. Because I said it last night, my biggest takeaway is this. Landers Nolly, I still think, is this is this team's best player, although DeJulius is making a serious case. When your best player is your most clutch player in the most crucial five minutes of your season, and given that Nolly has been to the NCAA tournament before, there I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Russ, he's the only player on this team with NCAA tournament experience. I believe so. I don't think Old Dominion went I to I can't NCAA recall if they did did Indiana go and in, I think Indiana went with Rob oh Fantasy, yeah okay but Indiana. obviously Rob unfortunately we're, I yeah. don't think we're gonna see him the rest good of point. the year so good point about Rob Indiana didn't make the tournament last year they won a first four game uh here in Dayton so Nolly has tournament experience maybe that's what a guy like the Julius needs and this team needs as they get as they gear up for a stretch that has potential to turn into a a run Russ do you agree uh, it it does uh, like they're playing. I would say the best basketball over a month long stretch, factoring in the Victor Locken injury, obviously, and the and the impact that had against Tulane of the West Miller era. And when you think about the trajectory this team is on right now, with the final two games facing them this season, the most important game of the West Miller era, Correct. bar none, on Correct. Sunday, Correct. because if you beat Memphis on Sunday then all you need is Memphis to take one more loss guaranteed to get that three seed 
if you beat SMU, obviously. Cincinnati finishes 2-0. Memphis finishes 2-2 with a loss to UC. UC jumps them. And then they could get the two seed still in play as well. Tulane will give up the two seed, and Cincinnati would be the two seed based on tiebreakers if Tulane goes one and three with a loss and make and one of those and that one win is not against Houston. So as long as those things happen, which I think are not out of the realm of possibility for sure, like Memphis could definitely go two and two at their schedule, seeing as UC and Houston are still left on their docket, and then Tulane obviously or has to play. Excuse me, Tulane still has to play Houston, but. They like played Memphis, them last night. Yeah, exactly. So And they lost the, by 30. Uh, well, no, but they still have a second game against Houston. They, they closed do? the season against Houston. Yeah. Oh, you're talking Lane. about I, – I, I thought you were talking – wait, Tulane is? I thought they – Yeah, I, I'm saying – all right, let's go through the schedule real quick. Let's just get Yeah, because I think Tulane's played Mem- Houston twice. I could be wrong, Russ, so let, let, let's look at the schedules. So we know the Bearcats have two games left, Memphis on Sunday, which we're going to get to here in just a minute because, I, I mean, you want to talk about a monumental matchup? Woo! Um – Two, Memphis has four games left, including tonight against Wichita State, Cincinnati, SMU, and Houston. Tulane, Russ, are you checking Tulane's schedule? There we go. Is- yeah, Memphis is the with Houston left. You're right. You're right. Okay. So and Tulane has Sunday. Wichita State at home. They're at okay. East Carolina, home against East Carolina, and home against Temple. So Tulane just has to lose one of those okay. games. And UC has to beat Memphis, beat SMU, and Memphis has to lose two UC and two Houston, and the Bearcats will be your two seed. So it's very much on the table that's for Cincinnati possible. to get yeah. that second seed. It is very much on the table. Wow, like Tulane, they could easily lose to Wichita State tonight, or should be not this weekend um, at home. I could see that happening. And then that home game against Temple, those teams are probably going to have a lot to play for in terms of seeding the AAC tournament. It's going to be a a tremendous game on Sunday in a really nice arena, the FedEx Forum. I know a, a couple of our colleagues are going down, Justin Williams of The Athletic, Neil Meyer of the Front Office News. I was talking to them last night. They're going to Memphis. So uh, Scott Springer from The Enquirer is going to Memphis. So it's going to be a full house. Uh, and, of course, Dan Terry will be there as well. We will get into the matchup, including a battle of the a battle of the point guards. You want to talk about a elite battle? You got one here between David DeJulius and Kendrick Davis. We'll get into that after a word from two of our sponsors. I should, Russ, put an asterisk because I haven't heard if Kendrick Davis is playing on Sunday or not. Yeah, I don't know if we should preview that because, I mean, we don't know. We're not, uh, okay. not a thousand but percent he, sure. I don't think he didn't play. Um, he didn't play. He didn't play Sunday against Houston. Sunday. Yeah, so. We'll okay. See. And that would be, but if he does, if he does, now here's what you're up against. You're up against a team that's scoring around 80 points a game. Their defense allows 73 points a game. But you look at their box scores. Russ, I mean, since the last time these two teams played, a game won by Memphis, 75-68, uh, one month ago, yesterday, actually. You look at Memphis and the games they've played since then, and the scoring and, and the scores that have been in those games. Memphis in two, Memphis against SMU, 99. Tulsa, 80. Tulane, a loss in overtime, 89. South Florida, 99. Temple, 86. I mean, those are just ridiculous numbers that Memphis is putting up offensively. Do the Bearcats have enough to keep up with that? Yeah, thousand percent. No doubt they have the scoring power to keep up with it. It's just about 
mixing in that physicality that they brought to the table against Temple with that great free throw and with that great free throw jump shooting that they've been able to employ uh, throughout much of the whole season and especially with the free throw shooting over the past month. So, yeah, they have the tools. They have the horses to keep up. It's just about execution. It's just about can this team bring their A-game performances that they seem to have against lesser competition throughout an entire 40 minutes against the top 50 team. They have not done it in the past 12 months under Wes Miller, and they might only get one more chance after this to do it in the AAC tournament. And if they lose this game to Memphis, it's not going to make people very confident that they can beat a top-tier team in that tournament run. So this is your your last chance to me to prove to people that you are worthy of being picked to win the AAC tournament. Wow. Yeah. Especially with so much on the line, as you and I just documented a few minutes ago. But there is something to me, Russ, about this team. They've won 19 games. They have won 10 in conference play. I mean, this is a vastly improved team from last year and year two under Wes Miller, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would say so. I think the the record won't end up being that much better. But I'd say given the strength of schedule a little bit better this year, the AAC, I'd say, is comparable to last season. Both have been down years for the conference. So I would say, yes, it's a it's a much better showing this year and year two of the West Miller era. There has been significant progress. Dan Skillings has made a significant, I would not significant, but me, minor, minor improvements throughout the season. Victor Locken's taken a huge leap this year. I think David DeJulius has improved his skill level under West Miller's tutelage over the past two seasons. Landers Nolly is having his most efficient year of his career. Mike Adams Woods having the most efficient year of his career individually and team wise, production wise. It has been a improvement from last season. I will agree with that for sure. This team is definitely much more watchable and they're playing meaningful games. I mean, this game. What, Sunday, February 26th, a monumental showdown in Memphis. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about a game. If you thought last night's game was intense, this game is going to be 10 times greater. The right. Memphis and, games – go ahead, Russ. And last year at this time, Alex, they were on a three-game losing streak heading yeah. into the final two games of the season. And now you are on a multi-game winning win streak. streak. Yeah. So, let's make it three feeling. and let's make it four going into the conference tournament. And, if and you're, one if, more time it, for the people. The Bearcats get the two-seed. If Memphis goes two and two with a loss to UC and Tulane goes one and three with any kind of any, any win doesn't really matter. As long as they go one and three, any type of uh, combination of that against Wichita state temple and ECU twice will hand Cincinnati. If they go two and oh, obviously to close the season, the number two seed in the AAC yeah. tournament. Well, being the number three seed wouldn't be so bad, except the nine thirty tip off on a Friday night, not the most ideal, but You'll take it if you're the three seed and don't have to face Houston until the championship game. And of course, upsets do happen. So you may not even have to face Houston. in the championship Right. You give game. yourself that extra game to let variance play its role. If it has the role to play in this tournament. No question about that. Uh, let's see if we've got any questions. Oh, it looks like we do today. Questions and comments in the chat. CB says, what's up, Alex? Corey Brewer here. Thanks for covering this. Hey, Corey. Thank, glad you, uh, Glad you chimed in today. Marty Gilliard's ghost. I, I love that name. He was on last week. Great work as always. Want to touch on skillings a bit. Do we think that type of performance can happen on a consistent basis or is that an outlier as well as what is his ceiling going forward? Well, as I wrote last night, uh, Marty Gilliard's ghost on my stars of the game on all Bearcats to quote John Rothstein, 
you should have bought stock a long time ago. Russ, his effort last night, 15 points off the bench, 6 of 8 from the field, for a freshman playing in that marquee of a game, it, it he's growing He's growing up right before our eyes. And here's a guy who has been who, who is a really, really fun player to watch. He does need some fine-tuning on his three-point shooting. He's only 15 to 57 on the year, but he's done a lot of good things for this team. And how crucial was he last night in that close of a game? Oh, he was massive. 15 points, career high. Couldn't have come at a better time and a more important moment at home against a Temple team that um, right now you're slated to face once again in the AAC tournament. Uh, to answer, Marty, the uh, MGG, let's call him MGG. MGG's MGG, I like that. Yeah, MGG's question. I think we'll see maybe one or two more performances like this if the Bearcats get five games. If the Bearcats get five games, I think we're going to get at least one more 14 to 15 point performance out of Dan Skillings. Maybe he mixes it in with five or six rebounds. I was shocked that he didn't have, I don't think he had one rebound yesterday with that six foot seven frame. You'd think he'd be able to get a, get a couple boards here and there in that contest. But regardless, I think we will start to see more of a consistent performance out of Dan Skillings in the final two games of the regular season, at least hopefully you get a good performance out of one of those two. And then overall, I noted in one of my previews, I think it was two weeks ago, that he had hit a little bit of a freshman wall. His, at that point, prior four-game production compared to the entire season was basically half in terms of overall output product production-wise compared to um, the first part of the season. And then he's picked that up a little bit over the past four games, but this was by far his most impactful game probably in the past two, three weeks, if not the past month. So it's one of those freshman wall type of things that it, it it's hitting Dan Skillings and he's not quite taking the leap that maybe Bearcats fans had hoped or uh, put as a ceiling for him this year. But overall, it's still been, I think, a positive freshman year for Dan Skillings highlighted by that performance last night. So I think we will get a couple more good outings out of him. Interesting. MGG. Uh, also asked last question. I know you've he's talking to you, Russ, that you've said the at-large bid is dead in the water, but if we run the table and fall short in the end to Houston in the tournament, is there any possibility we could still get in? My answer to that is no. I, I just don't see – even though I do think, and Mike Petralia said this to me last night, that this is not a one-bid league, but – okay, so – Yeah, it's a two-bid league, Houston. and Memphis gets the other two. It's the other bid. <laughs> No, the answer to so MGG's question, I, I, I wish for content-wise that there was a chance. There is absolutely zero chance that the Bearcats get into, yeah. get into the NCAA chances. tournament. They had chances early on. Uh, if you take away the NKU and ECU losses, I don't even know if you can even say it in that scenario. Yeah, they still have a 0% chance to make an at-large bid, according to the team rankings right now. And that's... Makes yeah, sense to so me. You have zero quad one wins as of this moment. You are a crisp zero and three in quad one games, and two and in quad one and two games the season. It's just not good enough. Just flat out not good enough compared to the best quad one team in the country, Kansas. Alex, they are ten and four in quad one games alone. They're basically playing a quad one game every other night. It's absurd what the UC Bearcats are stepping into next season. It is. Uh, oh, I mean. And I was saying to you last night, you want to talk about the grind of a Sunday-Wednesday turnaround? Just wait till you have a Saturday-Monday turnaround. Yeah. Things are going to change starting next year. year, but it's going to be a lot more fun. 
covering that Big Twelve beat. It will. Maybe. I can't wait. Yeah, but it's fun. It's it's fun right now because because here's the thing. And I was thinking about this yesterday on my pregame run. See, I you know I like to do something physical before games, and so I was thinking about this. The Bearcats really haven't been in this position where they have a. Sh- I mean, they don't have an at large shot, but what they have is a shot to. Um, they have a shot to run the table and win the conference tournament. They really haven't been in this this position where you think they have a legitimate chance since 2019, where it's been this fun. 2020, they were just trying to hang on to a bid in the tournament at large or out of automatic qualifier. 21, they really didn't have a chance. I mean, yeah, they made a nice run of the tournament, but then they got boat raced by Houston. 2020 yeah, Houston was way better. Yeah, no question. Oh, that was the final four Houston team. Last year they were never in it. This year they are. We're starting to get back to that point where U.S. Bearcat basketball fans are caring about games in February. Yeah, it's a good position to be in. Slow incremental improvements, but for for a program that's been to the NCAA tournament, what, over 30 times? Multiple national championships? One of the 10 best Final Four appearance teams in the history of the sport? That bar is way higher. And I'm sure Wes Miller obviously would agree with me there. And he knows he hasn't cleared it just yet. But still has an opportunity to get one of those notches clocked off the old checklist this year in terms of your first NCAA tournament bid. And seeing as we were we were this time last year, that's a definite improvement over what was yeah. the eighth-seeded team in the AAC heading into the 2022 conference tournament. Well, the Bearcats were 0-3 against Temple prior to last night. They checked that off the list, got off the schneid there. They're 0-3 against Memphis in the West Miller era. Could they get off the schneid against them on Sunday? We'll find out. 2 p.m. tip on ESPN2. Russ, you'll have the preview paw prints later this week, heading into the weekend. You'll, of course, have the three-man weave. I'll have the stars, the game, film review from last night's thriller against Temple, which uh, there were some other entertaining aspects of the game. We don't have to get into those right now. I know we're kind of running long. Um, But... Thanks, as always, for making Lockdown Bearcats your first listen every day. For your second listen today, how about you check out our brand-new podcast, Lockdown College Basketball Experts Isaac Shade and Andy Patton bring you everything you need to know on and off the court. Plus, hear from big-name experts, coaches, and players throughout the basketball landscape. Lockdown College Basketball is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. For Lockdown Bearcats, I am Alex Frank. Russ Heltman is my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated. He's on Twitter at Russ Heltman 11. I'm on Twitter at Frankie underscore Natty with two N's, N-N-A-T-I. Instagram, Alex Frank, not underscore. And email, Alex3Frank at gmail.com. Russ, it's been fun. We got a big game on Sunday. We'll break it down on thir- – on, are we going back to Wednesday at 1230 next week because we don't have a game until – how about that, a week off in between games. Yeah, we'll, we'll do the normal Wednesday next week. It'll be good. Wednesday, Wednesday at 1230. Again, happy National Chili Day to all of you. Hope you get some Skyline Chili. This will be in podcast form this episode for tomorrow. Russ, it's always a pleasure. Uh, you have a great weekend. I'll talk to you soon, all right? Yes, sir. Enjoy the Memphis game, everybody. Talk to you all Thank next you. week. Thank you. We will hopefully enjoy the Memphis game. I'm Alex Frank for Lockdown Bearcats. Thanks for making us your first listen every day, and we will talk to you next week to recap the Memphis game and more football news and look at spring practice storylines right here on Lockdown Bearcats.